Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 94. And thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Keith Williams. And I love what I do because we have guests that have stories to tell, and each story is as unique as their fingerprint. Every week, we feature professionals in the skill trades, business owners, educators, career coaches, influencers, just people who are supportive of the skill trades, giving real-world advice. We don't run any ads on this podcast. We're not trying to sell you anything. So if you found value, please share it, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. It's easy, takes less than five minutes, and costs you nothing. Thank you again for tuning in. Today's guest is from North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, for folks who don't know. My guest owned a mechanical contracting business for 15 years. My guest is a business coach and consultant who helps women leaders in construction and trades. She's involved in the Canadian Association for Women in Construction and loves helping women become more effective business leaders and seeing them grow. She's very proud of selling her business that she thought she was just going to have to close down and was able to sell it. And during her free time, she enjoys hiking, training, and training for 10K runs. Please welcome Coralie Beattie to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Coralie, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks very much, Keith. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, you know, you and I connected through LinkedIn and, you know, both of us came up at a time when LinkedIn and social media did not exist. And I'm sure there are things that you can relate to and understand are not foreign to you, like landlines, yellow pages, classified ads. These are things that are not foreign to you. And I feel we have a greater appreciation for these tools and platforms Tell me how LinkedIn has affected your career and your business. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective because I still, if you can believe it, I still get yellow pages delivered to my house once a year. I'm like, who is doing this? Because it comes to my house and it goes in the recycling. They're, I don't know why people still think there's use for it. But anyway, yeah, with uh, the old fashioned way of communicating and reaching people and now fast forward to where we are today, it's pretty incredible that you can reach such a wide audience with so little effort. And LinkedIn in particular, I like because it is business-based and it is, you know that people who are there are there for uh, connecting for business purposes, for helping people in their businesses. So that's, I do like LinkedIn for that. And you know, you and I connected through LinkedIn. So I, you know, I'm grateful for that because otherwise I'm not sure that we would have been able to connect or if I've been able to find you. So I'm really grateful for those opportunities for sure. Yeah. And another thing too, is that, and you're a business owner, you know, so you can understand this it's free. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to get people's attention with your business, you had to pay for an ad. I mean, you couldn't just put an ad out. Well, they didn't, we didn't really have the resource, but you couldn't just put an ad out for free. And now, you know, we have tools that allow you to do that without any cost. I mean, I think the cost is your time and creativity. Oh, that's true. Especially when you think, and not even that long ago, because when I did have my business, we were still relying on those paid hard copies, whether it be paper or newspaper or flyers going out or whatever it happens to be. We we were still doing those in the early days. And, you know, Yellow Pages was 
expensive. Like if you wanted a big ad, it was it was quite the investment to be able to do that. So absolutely having that free platform where, you know, all you have to do is, <laughs> mind you, I struggle with this myself because I want to provide value for my clients. And when I get on there, I'm like, okay, what's the best value I can provide, you know, on this platform? So I, I struggle with that a bit and getting out there as much as I should. However, it is such a great resource for so many people just to be able to get up off their feet and start a business like where people maybe didn't have that same opportunity, you know, even maybe 15 years ago. Definitely. So, you know, you made career changes from corporate to a contractor and now a consultant. Think back to when you were in high school. What did you want to become? And how's that taken? How's that doing gone? Yeah, if you asked me in high school, I never actually would have considered construction and my history where I've come from where I'm going to. I never would have thought that this is where I was going to be going. I loved construction my whole life, but in the early 90s, it wasn't a consideration for women or young girls to be in construction. It wasn't something that was... It wasn't popular. It wasn't something that was encouraged. So even as much as I loved it from a very young age, it wasn't something I had considered for a career, you know, in high school. I assumed that I would go to university and take psychology because I wanted to help people. That's that that was at the core of who I am is helping people. So that's what I did. I went to university and took went for four years, didn't quite finish my degree. And, you know, I was my goal was to help kids in the criminal justice system. And when I was working in that space, I realized I couldn't identify with these kids at all because I had this nice upbringing. I was, you know, suburbia, nice area, nice kids. You know, I didn't, I didn't experience what these kids were experiencing. And for that, I didn't feel like I could genuinely help them. It was a lot of emotional charge to it. And it was something that was really difficult to leave at the office, so to speak. So that's when I was like, what else am I going to do? Because I don't think this is the thing. So I thought, well, why don't I pursue construction? Because I do love it. I loved it. And that was the first time when I, it was a very quick decision, kind of from a Thursday, I was thinking, maybe I do this thing. I contacted the school on Friday, they had space and I started there on Monday. Like it was really quick. I quit my job. I quit my university, everything, and just, you know, quickly shifted gears. And that was the best quick decision I ever made because mind you, I've made a few quick, good decisions in my life. Anyway, notwithstanding, it was probably the first really big impactful one that I made because I started learning something that I truly loved and I never had that experience before. I never had the experience of learning something that I really connected with and I really loved and every day I was excited to learn more. So I knew that I was in the right place for that. Definitely. I also think the fact that you made that pivot at a young age was smart. And it also, the fact that you engaged in it right away showed that it was, it was the right thing for you to do. Your behavior will dictate if this is something good, like how you're feeling about the decision, I'm sure. So that definitely was a key indicator for you. You know, both you and your husband worked in the skilled trades, which means, and so I'm curious, you know, your children have obviously been exposed to the trades. Do you think any of them will follow in your footsteps? Well, we have four kids. The oldest is 16 and he's graduating in less than a month from high school. I'm so excited for that. And my youngest just turned 11 on Monday. And since the youngest was seven, we've had them on job sites working. And so they've, for the last four years or so, they've been on job sites with my husband doing work and getting exposed to the environment. Now, they're not on active as far, like it's usually there on weekends. They're not there on a Tuesday, at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon when it's humming with a bunch of different trades. They are there when they're really the only ones there. So it's a safe environment and all that thing. So it's not it's not child labor, it's exposure. And um, they do a great job. They've learned to work really hard and contribute to 
the sites, the projects and such. That being said, none of them have really expressed a really great interest in the trades necessarily, but I really think that at least some of them will probably, and I will encourage them to at least try it out. Whether it be, you know, just a summer job, go get on job sites, become a laborer, just do something. Or if it is becoming a journey person or an apprentice and working towards a journey person, because I think the skills that you gain as a tradesperson are skills that you have for your whole life and are always valuable. Actually, it's funny. My daughter said yesterday, she's 14 and last night we were having this conversation and she said, I'm so glad my dad's a plumber. She said, because it's going to save me thousands of dollars in the future when I can just call him up and he can come. Well, she said, I'm pretty good around a toy. But when those other things that I don't know how to do, she said, I can just call them up and have them come over. So there's skills that you can really apply to your regular life that really add a level of convenience. Like I am so grateful my husband does all the things that he does because he's not just a plumber. He does a lot of other things that are just really, I don't have to wait to call a plumber and say, ah, you know, my sink is not working or this or that when it's a really small thing. So I think the skills that you can learn in the trades are just ones that you can apply right across your life and are so useful just to have, whether you have a career in it or just as a side skill. Yeah. And tell your daughter that if she wants to impress folks, she can be somebody who's able to fix these things because we do have stereotypes that a lot of young women can't do these things. And I think that's changing now. I also think she'll save a ton of money as she gets older. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because she definitely, she definitely sees the value in learning how to do these things. When she said, well, I know my way around a toilet pretty well. I was like, nice, good for you. Because she does recognize the value in having those skills. So it's definitely uh, something we'll continue to foster in them. Definitely. Also remind them that those jobs that they might do in the summer tend to pay more than any other job they're going to do. Oh, absolutely. I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure that should be a motivating factor. I mean, they're going to have to work hard with whatever they do. They might as well get paid more than than less if they have the option. I agree. Yeah. So you serve women in construction and I know you're passionate about the work you do. What does success look like for you? Long term, my, my goal is really to be able to empower women to have a business that they feel good about and they feel confident in and they can run with relative ease and comfort as much as you can do that in the construction industry. So the success for me is helping these people be able to get to that place because I know that I didn't quite reach that place of ease and comfort before we sold. However, we were on our way to that and I know what it looks like and I know what it can feel like and uh, that's what I really want for the women that I work with. And long-term, I really want to empower as many women to enter the trades and to really have a career that is fulfilling and satisfying, whether it's as an employee or as a business owner. I think it's an, it's an industry that is so incredibly fulfilling, really, or, and satisfying, if that's something that you enjoy, to build things, to create things that outlast you, things that you can drive by and point at and say, you know, I, I was part of that project. I was part of creating that building that whatever it happens to be. So I enjoy that whole process. Yeah, I also think the communities will help because we have a lot of social communities, a lot of online communities where women can start to collaborate with one another. Mm-hmm. I've interviewed some women and, and they've shared that as being a real asset to be able to connect with other women. Cause you learn from people who are obviously are more experienced than you and have been down the path as you, and they can relate to what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the community you're building would definitely make a big difference and help. So you have expertise in advising women in the skill trades on what, who are wanting to start their own business. What is the biggest surprise you've seen for women starting their own business? 
biggest surprise for women starting their own business is probably the amount of work the business takes, the business side of it, because all these women are skilled and they love to do their craft and they want to go do their craft. However, what they don't recognize is the amount of time and effort that really goes into managing the back end of their business and learning the back end. Like, how do you charge adequately so you make a desirable profit, get paid fairly, and you're not, you know, working on pennies kind of thing? So it's really learning to cost your projects properly and really understanding how the business works and also the amount of time it takes because if you aren't on top of it every day it can get it can pile up really quickly and it can become really overwhelming so it's you know, having the discipline to work on it daily on that paperwork on the thing that you don't love so much however if you do stay on top of it it can be manageable it just it's being aware of how fast it can take over if you let it slip even for maybe a couple days no, that makes sense because I do think that, you know, a lot of business people, particularly in the trades, they love doing the work mm -hmm. and that's their expertise. That's what they enjoy doing. But then there's so many other aspects of a business that might not be appealing to them, you know, like dealing and managing people. Oh, yes. Your accounting, you know, your, your HR, especially accounting. I imagine that that's not exciting stuff, but it's necessary. That is always the biggest thing that we spend a lot of time on is just learning how to manage the money, how to manage it, but also to be able to forecast, be able to just really understand how to collect the data that you need in order to generate the information that'll help you make decisions in your business. And that's always a steep learning curve. But once they actually get it, it's really empowering. They, they all of a sudden have a, a much stronger hold on their business than they ever did. How much do you think, how important do you think it is for them to kind of find really good talent that they could trust to manage those things for them because there's only so much you can do. And I guess it depends on what stage you are in, in your business. When do you advise them maybe to pass that to somebody else? Because that, I mean, that, that's a pretty critical decision, I would imagine. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to, you know, just bookkeeping, because, you know, an accountant is typically something you want to have for sure right from the beginning, but bookkeeping keeping itself so that day-to-day -day financing stuff, finances stuff, to get to that point, to be able to trust somebody to hand that stuff over, to know that they'll do it properly. I don't know. I guess part of it is personality because for me, it was really difficult to do that because I like to have my hands in everything. I was kind of a little bit of a control freak. It was hard to get in. I find a lot of the women are similar to me in that respect that they don't want to let go of the reins. And I think for the things that you don't love to do, in other words, you know, a lot of it is the books for a lot of these women. Whatever you don't love to do, I would say outsource as soon as you can. And when, as soon as you can, I say, put it in your budget. And when you're bringing in your money, when you start, you know, actually gaining profit and bringing in the revenue that you want, I would say, put that at the top of your priority list is to outsource whatever it is that you don't love to do. And it doesn't have to be hiring somebody full-time. It really can be a virtual assistant or it can be somebody on a part-time basis. So, you know, do what you're comfortable with, what fits into your budget that frees up your time so you can actually be doing things that make money. Because I think the worst thing to have happen is have people struggle with the things that they hate to do that aren't making them money. And, you know, it's kind of a double, you know, double whammy as far as, you know, a loss on both sides. So what would you tell, so you serve a niche with construction. You have expertise in advising women on skills trades to start their own business. What would you tell leaders in the skill trades, men and women, what can they do to encourage, you know, get more women into the trades? Because, and more importantly, in leadership positions in the skilled trades, 
What advice would you give to um, men and women business leaders in the skilled trades? I think what's really undervalued and under underappreciated is the skill set that women are naturally bringing to the table that is underrepresented in the construction industry and can really serve the construction industry well. So we're talking about things like their communication skills, their relationship skills, their attention to detail, their ability to see problems before they necessarily occur. I think there's a lot of skills that women naturally have that could really serve the construction industry well. And I think if we can start to talk about those things in a more favorable way, and it's not that we downplay them so much as we just don't talk about them. We look at construction in a way that is, it's for big, strong white men who, you know, this is, they've been doing it forever and that's who's supposed to do it. However, we need to change the conversation to recognize that we have a, a serious, a serious labor shortage on the horizon here, like already in one, but it's only going to get worse. And we need to bring in many people in order to fill the shoes of the people who are leaving. And we need to be able to draw from all areas of our population and everybody has a place in construction. And I think that when we can have those conversations and encourage people to see things differently than what we have seen things in the last, well, forever of the industry. And that conversation, those conversations are starting, definitely. But I think we, and this is one of the reasons why I'm, you know, doing podcasts and connecting with people like yourself and other people who are really passionate about this, because I think our voices together are greater than one. And so when we can come together and really kind of collaborate to get out there and let people know that we need more people, we need there, everybody has a place in construction and we can find it, whether it be in an administrative position, whether it be in the field, whether it be on, you know, as an engineer, an architect, a project manager, construction manager, whatever it happens to be, there is so many opportunities and so many possibilities for the people in this industry that I think those are the things we need to be talking about. Like just the, the whole breadth of the opportunities that people can enter into and learn and come and contribute to, you know, these buildings that are, I don't know, I, I kind of, I love watching things to come together and get built up and get to a completion. And I love that whole process. So I think for other people to be able to see themselves in that, I think we need to expand the conversation for all the things that are possible in it. It's true. You know, I was interviewing somebody recently who is a construction business owner, and I interviewed a young woman who actually worked in construction as a project manager. And she was like, it's not what you think it is. I, yeah, I, I go on to site, but no, I'm, I'm managing the project. I work in an office. And a lot of people, you know, were not, the average person wasn't aware of that. I wasn't, and I interviewed her over a year ago. And, and as I've been in this business, I've learned about the different roles. But had I not interviewed her, I might not have known that. So I got to believe most people are not aware of all the different jobs that are in construction. And actually, she made a very good, good living too. I, I, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I think it's, I think another challenge is it's just, first of all, I think it's showing examples. So when women see someone like yourself and other women who are doing it, now they're like, oh, this is, this is a possibility. But I really do think it starts with going back into the schools and having women mentors, women who are in the profession, going in, talking to the students, having programs. Uh, there's a individual who I interviewed named Jamie McMillan. She's based out of Toronto. And she has kick-ass careers and she mentors young women and, and has women going into the trades. So she's doing a fantastic job. So you need more folks like her doing that. 
And obviously the work that you do too also contributes to that. So, Well, I think that, I think if you're going into high schools, it's good to be able to draw out the people who are interested in it, like myself. Like if I had somebody come into my high school and say women in construction, I'd be like, oh, I didn't even consider that because I knew I loved it. Uh, so for people like me, it would have worked, but I don't think it's a place that you're going to pull people and plant a seed. Because I think by that point, a lot of people who don't already have that aren't going to grab onto it because I think by that time they've already learned too much about the stereotypes and all those things that we're trying to dispel. However, I think that if you can get kids when they're young, like in elementary school and plant the seed of you can do anything and you can build this thing. So I think that it's really important to get into. And I mean, obviously that's the long investment in these young kids. However, I think that that's the place that we would have a greater impact because you do plant the seed early and you let them know you can do anything and you can do this thing and they get their hands on the tools and they do the things. There's a couple of programs. There's one that's called Tools and Tierras that's uh, focused on, I think. That. Uh, Judalyn Cassidy. I've interviewed her. I'm very familiar with her. Yes. Yes. So she has her program, Tools and Tierras, that help little young kids. I, probably, I think it's nine to 16 or Elementary something like that. Age. Yeah. Come into and try on the tools and do things. And I think that that's a great program. There's also another one in the Portland area that I think it's called Girls Who Build that have a similar type of thing where they're offering the, these opportunities to young girls to come in and try out the trades and uh, just get a feel for it. This is, you know, do you love it? And then plant that seed early so they can grow with it and explore it as they grow. And so when they get to high school, they already have seed that's kind of, you know, growing a bit more and thinking, oh yeah, I'd like to pursue this. So I think it's getting in earlier where they don't have those stereotypes yet. They haven't learned all that stuff yet. So um, I think there's still potential there. Definitely. I also think the parents are also big influencers too, because, you know, parents have perceptions and I think it's also parents have come from different generations, you know, where they've always thought this is the only path college. And I think now I would say Parents who have kids in your age group are becoming a little bit more flexible because they understand that their kids are going to do what they're going to do. And mental health and doing what makes you happy is also a critical piece that most parents want for their kids. You know, so I do think that it's just a question of the parents understanding, all right, this is a career that will allow them to support themselves, because that's obviously something that is going to influence parents supporting their kids going into the skill trades. Yeah, I actually homeschool my kids. And I, as I was kind of growing with them and learning, because in the beginning, I was definitely my kid will graduate and go to university and do that thing. And this, so I'm in 12, my 12th year of homeschooling. So this was, you know, quite some time ago. So when my son was in grade nine, he was taking a program that he really loved. He wanted to get into making films and doing digital media type of thing. And I told him and it real, it occurred to me at that point. So it was maybe three or four, I don't know, several years ago. Anyway, what I realized is that one of the reasons I homeschool my kids is I just think that the system no longer serves. It's not relevant to where we are in our development as humans in our technology. It's not, it's no longer relevant. You can just ask Google, Google, what's the capital of blah? You know, you don't have to know this stuff. There's so much information that's right at our fingertips to have a kid be in a classroom and learn the capitals of your provinces and all the, the countries in Africa and all these things. I just don't think it's as relevant as it used to be. And so I think that that's one of the problems with the system is that the kids are learning this content that maybe isn't relevant to their future. And so the way I approach the education with my kids is that 
I want them to love to learn. I want them to know how to learn. So yes, math, reading, and writing were always the three things that we always did. But all the other things was really based on their interests. I wanted them to be able to explore and learn what they love. And this is kind of getting a sidetrack. So the reason I say that is because here we are and you know, 2022 and going to university, like I realized at some point, like probably four years ago, that that path is not really relevant anymore because there are so many people who are getting it done on like with no high school education and being quite successful on social media or online somehow or other. There's so many other opportunities that are available. Yeah, if you want to be a vet, like one of my daughters wants to be a vet, yes, go to university. That's a good place. You don't want to learn how to operate on an animal from YouTube. But I think that, you know, for my other kids who aren't necessarily interested in that professional route, there are so many other options. And I'm just like, okay, I got this money put away for their college education. And I'm thinking I'm getting a payday because I don't know that any of them are actually going to use it. So I'm thinking, yeah. you know, it's, there's so many other opportunities and so many other chances. And of course, with the other thing, bringing this back to the skilled trades, of course, is that going into a skilled trade, if you want to pursue that, you know, post-secondary education, going into the skilled trades and actually working and getting paid to do that education, which is so valuable, like we spoke about, actually applicable to your whole life. It's an applied skill that you can actually use as opposed to, you know, learning trigonometry Yes. that I think, okay, anyway, <laughs> so there's so much that you learn at university that you can't really apply in your life for long term. In the trades, you can learn something and apply it forever. Whether you're going to be a chef, a plumber, an electrician, whatever it happens to be, whatever that trade is, it is a lifelong skill that is useful and you don't go thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt to get it's there. True. Yes, people need to know that. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. I think people are figuring that out when they start seeing how much they have to pay in debt and the fact that salaries are not as high, you know, we have too much information available for people to say, hey, college is just guaranteed successful path. People have the information they know now, like they can go and Google what a, you know, what you make as a college grad for this job or that job. So, you know, transparency is a wonderful thing because it, it, it helps you make important decisions, you know. So I wanted to ask you, you know, you are in Vancouver, British Columbia, and you have easy access to the U.S. market. I'm kind of curious, you know, especially as a fellow Canadian, how have you found the Canadian market versus the U.S. market for what you're doing, for the work you're doing? Is there a big difference? Are you seeing some of the same challenges? Is there anything unique about the Canadian market versus the U.S.? I'm going to say nothing is unique for what I do. And that is because what I do is really based on universal business practices, universal business concepts. So, and I see the same struggles where I think the, in the construction industry, it is not just a regional challenge to run a business profitably. That is an international thing. Everybody, no matter where you are, what corner of the world to run a profession, Profitable construction business requires certain things. And those are the certain things that I help my people with. So it's not whether they are in, you know, New York or Vancouver or London in Ontario or the UK, regardless of where you are, it's the same things different, you know, they're catering to different people, but it's all the same concepts. You have to do the same things. It's, it's that foundational business building. And then, you know, maybe you have different ways of communicating with your people depend on the region that you are working in. But other than that, it's 
pretty much the same across the board. Now, where we get into, like when somebody's actually starting their business and we talk about things like how they are setting their business up, whether it be an LLC or, you know, down in the States, they have the S Corp and those different C Corp, I think. Those different things, I always, whether I'm in Canada, because we have different ones here, or in the US or anywhere else, I always tell people to talk to your lawyer, talk to your accountant on how to best set up your business for how you're using it. So as much as those little details are very or can be very different. It will, I don't give recommendations, advice, consultation, anything like that in detail on those. I don't give the recommendations. I leave that to the professionals and that's not me as far as those pieces go. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, you're, you're right. Business is business, whether you're in Canada or the US. And uh, like I said, I was just curious about the markets and what you're seeing, if there was some kind of differentiation. Last question, final question. Show your ideal profile and why people should work with you. If you are a woman leader within a construction business and you are the one that is responsible for how the business runs, the business development, the profitability, all of the things that contribute to a successful business, and you are struggling from your day to day because you're always flying by the seat of your pants, emergencies come up all of the time, you can never predict your day because you are just really one phone call after another. Those are the people I need to help. Those are the people that need to call me. Those are the people that are like, ah, going crazy, losing their mind because they can't actually focus on one thing because something else is always coming up. So the women I help, are, I help them put processes and procedures in place to, you know, have their business run like that well-oiled machine. So it's a lot more smooth. It's a lot less headaches and you can actually, you know, predict as much as construction to be can be predictable, predict what your day is going to look like, and then actually run that day. So I know that there's so many people, men and women, I help women specifically because that was me. And there's a lot of help out there for men. Women, we're kind of one of one at the table almost all of the time in the construction industry. And so I really want to bring those women together so they can be supported by like-minded women and know that it can be done and know that they, this is a space where they can be empowered to really take control of their business and not have, the, have their business take control of them. Because that inevitably is what happens when you just jump into business without much intention. Excellent. And I might add to that, it will make your business more profitable if you have. Oh, absolutely. That's the, that is the goal. Take your time. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, women who are interested in working with you. What's the best way for them to reach you and find you? Uh, you can go to my website, which is thrivehq.ca. There, you, there's a couple of different options to get in touch with me. You can fill out a needs assessment. We can have a conversation, see where you're at, where you want to be, and how we can get you there. Uh, you can also find me on social media. I'm not on Twitter. I think I'm on everything else, though, including Clubhouse. And I'm Coralie Beatty. Again, one of one, so I'm easy to find. Definitely. And Coralie, we will have your information in our podcast notes. So people, you know, listening to this, you'll be able to, if you look at the notes, all of her information will be there. All her website and social media feeds, we'll have that all in the notes. Coralie, it was a pleasure to interview you. Thank you so much for being a guest today on the Skill Stadium podcast. Thank you, Keith. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.